Section 4 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Means of Saving. Part 1. Quote, Self-reliance and self-denial will teach a man to drink out of his own cistern, and eat his own sweet bread, and to learn and labor truly to get his own living, and carefully to save and expend the good things committed to his trust. End quote. Lord Bacon. Quote, Love, therefore labor. If thou shouldst not want it for food, thou mayest for physic. It is wholesome for the body, and good for the mind. It prevents the fruit of idleness. End quote. William Penn. Quote, the parent who does not teach his child a trade teaches him to be a thief. End quote. Brahmanical scriptures. Those who say that it can't be done are probably not aware that many of the working classes are in the receipt of incomes considerably larger than those of professional men. That this is the case is not by any means a secret. It is published in blue books. It is given in evidence before parliamentary committees. It is reported in newspapers. Any coal owner or ironmaster or cotton spinner will tell you of the high wages that he pays to his workpeople. Families employed in the cotton manufacture are able to earn over three pounds a week, according to the number of the children employed. Footnote. A return of seven families employed by Henry Ashworth, New Cayley Mills, Lancashire, is given in the Blue Book, entitled Report of the Paris Universal Exhibition, 1867, containing the returns relative to the new order of reward. Page 163. Of the seven families, the lowest earnings per family amounted to two pounds fourteen shillings sixpence, and the highest to three pounds nineteen shillings a week. End of footnote. Their annual incomes will thus amount to about a hundred and fifty pounds a year, which is considerably larger than the incomes of many professional men, higher than the average of country surgeons, larger than the average of the clergy and ministers of all denominations, higher than the average of the teachers of common schools, and probably higher than the average income of the middle classes of the United Kingdom generally. An employer at Blackburn informs us that many persons earn upwards of five pounds a week, or equal to an average income of two hundred and sixty pounds a year. Such families, he says, quote, ought not to expend more than three pounds weekly. The rest should be saved. But most of them, after feeding and clothing themselves, spend the rest in drink and dissipation, end quote. The wages are similar in the Burnley district, where food, drink, and dress absorb the greater part of the work people's earnings. In this, as in other factory districts, quote, the practice of young persons, mill workers, boarding with their parents is prevalent, and is very detrimental to parental authority. End quote. Another reporter says, quote, wages are increasing as there is more money and more time to spend it in. Sobriety is not on the increase, especially amongst females. End quote. The operatives employed in the woolen manufacture receive about 40 shillings a week and some as much as 60. Footnote. See the above blue book, page 57, certifying the wages paid by Bliss and Son of Chipping Norton Woolen Factory. End of footnote. Besides the amount earned by their children, a good mechanic in an engine shop makes from 35 to 45 shillings a week, and some mechanics make much larger wages. Multiply these figures, and it will be found that they amount to an annual income of from 100 to 120 pounds a year. But the colliers and iron workers are paid much higher wages. One of the largest ironmasters recently published in the newspapers the names of certain colliers in his employment, who were receiving from 4 to 5 pounds a week, 
or equal to an annual income of from two hundred to two hundred and fifty pounds a year. Footnote. Richard Fothergill, Esquire, M.P. He published a subsequent letter from which we extract the following. Quote, no doubt such earnings seem large to clerks and educated men who, after receiving a costly education, have often to struggle hard for bread, but they are nevertheless the rightful earnings of steady manual labour, and I have the pleasure of adding that while all steady, well-disposed colliers in good health could make equally good wages, many hundreds in South Wales are quietly doing as much or more. Witness a steady collier in my employment, with his two sons living at home, whose monthly pay ticket has averaged thirty pounds for the last twelve months. Another steady collier, within my information, aided by his son, has earned during the past five months upwards of twenty pounds a month on the average, and from his manual labour as an ordinary collier, for it is of the working colliers and firemen I am speaking all along, he has built fifteen good houses, and disregarding all menaces, he continues his habits of steady industry, whereby he hopes to accumulate an independence for his family in all events. End quote. End of footnote. Iron workers are paid a still higher rate of wages. A plate roller easily makes three hundred a year. Footnote. See Messrs. Fox, Head and Company's return in the blue book above referred to. This was the rate of wages at Middlesbrough in Yorkshire. In South Wales, the wages of the principal operatives engaged in the iron manufacture recently were puddlers, nine shillings a day, first heaters on the rail mills, eight shillings, nine pence a day, second heaters, eleven shillings, seven pence, roughers, ten shillings, nine pence, rollers, thirteen shillings, two pence, or equal to that amount. End of footnote. The rollers in rail mills often make much more. In busy times they have made as much as from seven to ten guineas a week, or equal to from three to five hundred a year. Footnote. Even at the present time, when business is so much depressed, the mill rollers make an average wage of five pounds ten shillings a week. End footnote. But like the workers in cotton mills, the iron workers are often helped by their sons, who are also paid high wages. Thus the underhands are usually boys from fourteen years of age and upwards, who earn about nineteen shillings a week, and the helpers are boys of under fourteen, who earn about nine shillings a week. These earnings are far above the average incomes of the professional classes. The rail rollers are able to earn a rate of pay equal to that of lieutenant colonels in Her Majesty's foot guards, plate rollers equal to that of majors of foot, and ruffers equal to that of lieutenants and adjutants. Goldsmith spoke of the country curate as, quote, passing rich with forty pounds a year, end quote. The incomes of curates have certainly increased since the time when Goldsmith wrote, but nothing like the incomes of skilled and unskilled workmen. If curates merely worked for money, they would certainly change their vocation and become colliers and iron workers. When the author visited Renfrewshire a few years ago, the colliers were earning from ten to fourteen shillings a day. According to the common saying, they were, quote, making money like a minting machine, end quote. To take an instance, a father and three sons were earning sixty pounds a month, or equal to a united income of more than seven hundred pounds a year. The father was a sober, steady, ident man. While the high wages lasted, he was the first to enter the pit in the morning, and the last to leave it at night. He only lost five days in one year, 1873 to 4, the loss being occasioned by fast days and holidays. Believing that the period of high wages could not last long, he and his sons worked as hard as they could. They saved a good deal of money and bought several houses, besides educating themselves, to occupy higher positions. In the same neighbourhood, another collier with four sons was earning money at about the same rate per man, that is about £75 a month, or £500 a year. 
this family bought five houses within a year and saved a considerable sum besides the last information we had respecting them was that the father had become a contractor that he employed about sixty colliers and redsmen footnote redsmen are the men who clear the way for the colliers they red up the debris and build up the roof in the long wall system as the colliery advances End of footnote. and was allowed so much for every ton of coals brought to bank the sons were looking after their father's interests they were all sober diligent sensible men and took a great deal of interest in the education and improvement of the people in their neighbourhood at the same time that these two families of colliers were doing so well it was very different with the majority of their fellow workmen these only worked about three days in every week some spent their earnings at the public-house others took a whisky ploy at the seaside for that purpose they hired all the gigs droskies cabs or machines about a fortnight beforehand the results were seen as the success of monday mornings came round the magistrate sat at the neighbouring town where a number of men and women with black eyes and broken heads were brought before him for judgment before the time of high wages the courthouse business was got through in an hour sometimes there was no business at all but when the wages were doubled the magistrate could scarcely get through the business in a day it seemed as if high wages meant more idleness more whisky and more broken heads and faces these were doubtless roaring times for the colliers who had they possessed the requisite self-denial might have made little fortunes many of the men who worked out the coal remained idle three or four days in the week while those who burnt the coal were famished and frozen for want of it the working people who were not colliers will long remember that period as the time of the coal famine while it lasted lord elko went over to tranent a village in east lothian to redress the colliers upon their thriftlessness their idleness and their attempted combinations to keep up the price of coal he had the moral courage a quality much wanted in these days to tell his constituents some hard but honest truths he argued with them about the coal famine and their desire to prolong it they were working three days a week and idling the other days some of them did not do a stroke of work during a week or a fortnight others were taking about a hundred bank holidays yearly but what were they doing with the money they earned were they saving it for a rainy day or when the roaring times no longer existed were they preparing to fall back upon the poor rates he found that in one case a man with his two sons was earning seven pounds in a fortnight i should like he said to see those scotchmen who are in the mining business taking advantage of these happy times and endeavouring by their industry to rise from their present position to exercise self-help to acquire property and possibly to become coal masters themselves it had been said in the newspaper that a miner was earning wages equal to that of a captain and that a mining boy was earning wages equal to that of a lieutenant in her majesty's service i only know said lord elko that i have a boy who when he first joined her majesty's service was an ensign and that his wage to earn which remember he had under the purchase system to pay five hundred pounds was not the wage you are now receiving but the wage which you were receiving in bad times and that was only five shillings a day it might be said that the collier risks his life in earning his wages but so does the soldier and the gallant boy to whom lord elko referred afterwards lost his life in the ashanti campaign the times of high wages did not leave a very good impression on the public mind prices became higher morals became lower and the work done was badly done there was a considerable deterioration in the character of british workmanship we began to rely too much upon the foreigner trade was to a large extent destroyed and an enormous loss of capital was sustained both by the workmen and by the masters lord aberdare was of opinion that three million sterling were lost by the workmen alone during the recent strike in south wales 
One hundred and twenty thousand workmen were in enforced idleness at once, and one hundred and fifty thousand pounds were lost every week in wages during the time that they remained idle. What the employers think of the recent flash of prosperity can easily be imagined. But it may not be unnecessary to quote some of the statements of correspondence. A large employer of labor in South Lancashire says, quote, Drunkenness increases and personal violence is not sufficiently discouraged. High wages and household suffrage came upon the people before education had prepared them for the change. End quote. In a large ironwork near Newcastle, where the men were paid the highest wages for rolling plates and rails, and where they were earning between three and four hundred pounds a year, the proprietors observe, quote, except in a few instances we are afraid that workmen and their families spend most of their earnings, end quote. Another employer in South Staffordshire says, quote, in the majority of cases the men employed in the ironwork spend the whole of their wages before the end of the following week. There are, of course, some exceptions, but they are unhappily very few. End quote. Another in South Wales says, quote, As to the thrifty habits of the men, a small minority are careful in saving. They generally invest their money in cottage property, but the great majority of the men spend their money often before they earn it, and that in the most reckless way. Large sums are spent in drink. This leads to idleness, and owing to drink and idling, the works are kept short of men until about Wednesday in each week, when the greater part of the most idly disposed have become sobered down. Of course, when wages are low, the men work more regularly, there is less drinking, and altogether the condition of the place is healthier in every respect, both in a moral and physical sense." Another observer remarks that the miners of Bilston are about 6,000 in number, and they spend more than 50,000 pounds annually in the purchase of ale and liquors. Their improvidence may be studied with advantage in the Bilston market. No other market is supplied with finer poultry or comparatively to the population in greater abundance, and this is chiefly, if not entirely, for the consumption of the labouring classes, for the resident inhabitants not directly associated with those classes are few in number. Sordid and ill-favoured men may there be seen buying on Saturday chickens, ducks, and geese which they eat for supper, and in some instances bottled porter and wine. Yet so little have they beforehand in the world, that if the works were to stop they would begin within a fortnight to pawn the little furniture of their cottages and their clothes for subsistence and for drink. Mr. Chambers of Edinburgh, in his description of the working classes of Sunderland, makes these remarks, quote, With deep sorrow I mention that everywhere one tale was told, intemperance prevails to a large extent, good wages are squandered on mean indulgences, there is little care for the morrow, and the workhouse is the ultimate refuge. One man, a skilled worker in an iron foundry, was pointed out as having for years received a wage of one guinea a day, or six guineas a week. He had spent all, mostly in drink, and was now reduced to a lower department at a pound a week. Another illustration occurs. A clerk at Blackburn took a house for twenty pounds a year and sublet the cellars underneath to a factory operative at a rental of five pounds a year. The clerk had a wife, four children, and a servant. The operative had a wife and five children. The clerk and his family were well-dressed. Their children went to school and all went to church on Sundays. The operative's family went, some to the factory, others to the gutter, but none to school. They were ill-dressed, excepting on Sundays, when they obtained their clothes from the pawn-shop. As the Saturdays came round, the frying-pan in the cellar was almost constantly at work until Monday night, and as regularly as Thursday arrived, the bundle of clothes was sent to the pawn-shop. Yet the income of the upper-class family in the higher part of the house was a hundred a year, and the income of the lower-class family in the cellar was fifty pounds more, that is, a hundred and fifty pounds a year. 
an employer in the same neighborhood used to say quote, i cannot afford lamb salmon young ducks and green peas new potatoes strawberries and such like until after my hands have been consuming these delicacies of the season for some three or four weeks End quote. the intense selfishness thriftlessness and folly of these highly paid operatives is scarcely credible exceptions are frequently taken to calling the working classes the lower orders but the lower orders they will always be so long as they indicate such sensual indulgence and improvidence in cases such as these improvidence is not only a great sin and a feeder of sin but it is a great cruelty in the case of the father of a family who has been instrumental in bringing a number of helpless beings into the world it is heartless and selfish in the highest degree to spend money on personal indulgences such as drink which do the parent no good and the mother and the children through the hereditary bad example an irreparable amount of mischief the father takes sick is thrown out of work and his children are at once deprived of the means of subsistence the reckless parent has not even taken the precaution to enter a provident or a benefit society and while he's sick his wife and children are suffering the pangs of hunger or he dies and the poor creatures are thrown upon the charity of strangers or on the miserable pittance wrung from the poor rates it would seem to be of little use preaching up an extension of rights to a people who are so supinely indifferent to their own well-being who are really unconcerned about their own elevation the friends of the industrious should faithfully tell them that they must exercise prudence economy and self-denial if they would really be raised from selfish debasement and become elevated to the dignity of thinking beings it is only by practising the principles of self-dependence that they can achieve a dignity stability and consideration in society or that they can acquire such influence and power as to raise them in the scale of social well-being brown the oxford shoemaker was of opinion that quote, a good mechanic is the most independent man in the world end quote. at least he ought to be such he has always a market for his skill and if he be ordinarily diligent sober and intelligent he may be useful healthy and happy with a thrifty use of his means he may if he earns from thirty to forty shillings a week dress well live well and educate his children creditably hugh miller never had more than twenty-four shillings a week while working as a journeyman stonemason and here is the result of his fifteen years experience quote, let me state for it seems to be very much the fashion to draw dolorous pictures of the condition of the labouring classes that from the close of the first year in which i worked as a journeyman until i took final leave of the mallet and chisel i never knew what it was to want a shilling that my two uncles my grandfather and the mason with whom i served my apprenticeship all working men had had a similar experience and that it was the experience of my father also i cannot doubt that deserving mechanics may in exceptional cases be exposed to want but i can as little doubt that the cases are exceptional and that much of the suffering of the class is a consequence either of improvidence on the part of the competently skilled or of a course of trifling during the term of apprenticeship quite as common as trifling at school that always lands those who indulge in it in the hapless position of the inferior workman it is most disheartening to find that so many of the highest-paid workmen in the kingdom should spend so large a portion of their earnings in their own personal and sensual gratification many spend a third and others half their entire earnings in drink it would be considered monstrous on the part of any man whose lot has been cast among the educated classes to exhibit such a degree of self-indulgence and to spend even one-fourth of his income upon objects in which his wife and children have no share mr Runk recently asked at a public meeting footnote, meeting of the mechanics institutes at dewsbury yorkshire and footnote quote, why should the male who makes two hundred pounds or three hundred pounds a year by his mechanical labour be a rude coarse brutal fellow 
there is no reason why he should be so why should he not be like a gentleman why should not his house be like my house when i go home from my labour what do i find i find a cheerful wife i find an elegant educated woman i have a daughter she's the same why should you not find the same happy influences at home i want to know when the workingman comes from his daily labour to his home why he should not find his table spread as mine is spread why he should not find his wife well dressed cleanly loving kind and his daughter the same we all know that many workingmen earning good wages spend their money in the beer-house and in drunkenness instead of in clothing their wives and families why should not these men spend their wages as i spend my small stipend in intellectual pleasures in joining with my family in intellectual pursuits why should not working-men after enjoying their dinners and thanking god for what they have got turn their attention to intellectual enjoyments instead of going out to get drunk in the nearest pot-house depend on it these things ought to go to the heart of a working-man and he is not a friend to the working-man who talks to him and makes him believe that he is a great man in the state and who doesn't tell him what are the duties of his position End of section four read by sandra montreal 2021.